This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Welcome to Roar to Win. This is Michelle Nagel. And your, our guest today is Kim Carpenter, who is the founder of World Changing Women, a support ecosystem for women entrepreneurs to grow businesses that make the world a better place. After 15 years of driving marketing campaigns for the likes of the United Nations, MasterCard, Blue Shield, and OfficeMax, Kim's work is now focused on supporting female entrepreneurs. She's helping hundreds of business owners to create marketing that stands out and makes a world-changing impact. Kim's accomplishments include serving as the VP of Strategic Operations for Conscious Marketing, Inc., and through an alliance with the Unstoppable Foundation, raising more than $20,000 to fund education for girls in Kenya. A passionate global traveler and lifelong learner, Kim's pursuits have taken her to over 35 countries, including India, where she lived in an ashram for five months, studying meditation, Israel, where she co-facilitated primal therapy groups, volunteering in Peru to launch a women's addiction recovery center, and Africa, where she supported children's rights and victims of gender violence. Welcome, Kim. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's so great to be here with you today. That is quite an impressive um, curriculum vitae you've got there. Um, <laughs> it's always funny to hear about yourself, isn't it? <laughs> like is that is that me is she talking about did I do those things <laughs> yeah that's really wonderful so um, I'm hoping that in our conversation you can let us know uh, about some of those places that you've been and some of the things that you've done with those different groups it Absolutely. sounds like um, like rather than just uh, speaking this you know you're walking it you don't just speak it and so it's really pretty wonderful Thank so you. Um, we're talking about resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. So what is your journey in those? Oh my gosh. Well, <clears throat> you know, in thinking about it, I, I'm an army brat. So part of the reason why I've been to so many countries is because my dad, you know, had to move every three years and, and I was that kid that would change schools in the middle of the school year, you know, however many times. And um, by the age, you know, by the time I finished 12th grade, I'd lived in 12 different homes. And I think that um, makes one really incredibly resilient and able to flex and, and flow with whatever's happening in life. And um, so I'm really grateful for those experiences, though they were challenging. And then I just took that into my my life as an adult, you know, I kind of kept on moving and um, lived in Tokyo, lived in New York City, <clears throat> which is a place that um, I always say I grew up in New York because uh, even though I moved there when I was 29, it, <laughs> it was the thing that made me become an adult, you know, okay. and, right? And working in um, the big advertising agency world, um, and climbing that corporate ladder, that definitely m taught me how to how to be resilient and how to flex and change. <clears throat> and then, you know, I was living in New York when 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. And the whole city was impacted. Absolutely. Right? Uh -huh. And then the tech crash happened after that. And so um, I actually, after the fourth round of layoffs, just volunteered and said, please put me on the next round because I know... Um, you're probably not going to have severance packages <laughs> after this round, and I'm just done. You know, I'm mm -hmm. going to to go out and and do something on my own from that point. So, so long answer <laughs> short, I think I was raised to be resilient, and then I think I just kept on cultivating those experiences throughout my career. Mm. Sounds like you had a pretty good attitude, though, because I know a lot of people that have had to change schools lots of times, and they don't look at it as a positive experience. So um, it sounds like you had to sign of you, you came to it with uh, an adjusted mindset anyway. Yeah, you know, we had a, um, my mom used to cross stitch, and you're mm -hmm. just reminding me, she had this cross stitch picture that was always in the kitchen, no matter where we lived, and it said, home is where the army sends you. <laughs> uh -huh. 
And so I think it's part of that culture, right? And um, it's like you're moving all the time, you're changing all the time, and yet there's this community around you of other people in that military. Um, and, and yeah, I think they're definitely there. People cultivated that, um, what is it called? Not a fixed mindset, but a flexible mindset. Flexibility, right? yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, so, so we were taught that, right? Like, okay, here we go. We're going to move to this new place and it's going to be awesome or maybe not, but <laughs> yeah. right, we're going to make the best of it wherever we are. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Um, I had a friend who once told me that she also moved a lot as a child and uh, she looked at it as an opportunity because whatever wasn't working in her personality and in one school, she had the opportunity to take on a new personality in her new school and become, so she felt she had molded herself by having the opportunity of a new audience each time instead of being around people who I know who you are and you've always been that way and you can't change. So that is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I think I never thought about it like that, but that's definitely um, part of how it is. And I think on one hand I've become a bit of a chameleon, right? Which Mm -hmm. is, which is a little strange, but it's like, okay, how do I adapt to this situation, to this culture, to this environment? And, And it's really helped me be able to move and live in different countries where you know, that wasn't my culture. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. So, uh, so you left the corporate world. And then what did you do? I did. So after nine years in New York City, and getting laid off, and then getting another job um, in pharmaceutical advertising and marketing, which, which just about killed my soul, because I was like, <laughs> this isn't about health. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, yeah, I, um, I decided to jump off the corporate ladder and I sold uh, all of my belongings and uh, packed up a suitcase and took a year sabbatical. And I was really intentional, like I'm taking a year off. And my first stop was uh, an ashram in India. And I lived there for five months and <clears throat> really got a sense of like who I was, who I really was outside of um, my conditioning and, you know, everything that I've been through in my life. And it was such a blessing. I mean, such a gift that I gave to myself to, to step into that container of support so I could find even more resilience, right. Um, To do something that really called my heart. And that's where I did deeper meditation training and coach training and facilitation training and really found that I have a deep love for entrepreneurship and for small businesses. And the combination of that business path of business and entrepreneurship and personal growth and and the very powerful intersection that those two things create when they when they collide. Um, I feel like growing a business is a spiritual journey. It is a journey of personal development. And I knew that I really wanted to help people with that. Wow, that's wonderful. So, so you just kind of told us a little bit, but why did you focus on women entrepreneurs? Oh, yeah. Well, so I in my introduction, you said I've been to over 35 countries. Like <laughs> traveling is the thing that I... I spent all my money on instead of acquiring homes and cars and stuff like that. Living in New York City, like who can afford to buy a house or <laughs> anyway, and having a car was like, you know, 700 bucks a month just for parking. So, um, so I traveled. So I just traveled. And in all of those places that I traveled, one of the things that just moved me the most was going into developing countries Um, and places where people didn't have all the luxuries that we have. Um, They really had nothing. Like they were, some of them living on, you know, 50 cents a day or less. Mm -hmm. And yet there was this sense of connection and community and belonging that I felt was really missing in Mm -hmm. a lot of our Western culture. Mm -hmm. And as I was in those different places traveling, it was always the women. It was the women that I would meet and connect with. And, um, and I was just blown away, especially by the sense of entrepreneurship <clears throat> inside of those communities. And it was the women that were taking up, 
you know, the cause of like, okay, there's something that's broken in the village here. There's something that's not working, right? Like we need more healthcare. We need better schools for our kids or whatever. And they were craving, you know, how do we create businesses? How do we generate money? I mean, I think that was just the top, you know, the mindset was like, we need money to have those things that we need. Well, how are we going to get money? We need to sell something or we need to do something Mm -hmm. to earn money. And um, they were the ones that were just so incredibly inspiring to me. You know, like I met Mercy Chidi in Kenya, who just saw a need for HIV clinics, and she just started mobile HIV clinics. And then her work grew and grew and grew to now she has um, partnered with NGOs out of Canada and won court cases against the Kenyan government. So now it's actually illegal for the Kenyan government not to document rape cases of girls in Kenya, right? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, yeah, safe houses for girls. And, and so in being in all of those places and really connecting with the women and really being taken under their wings, I just realized, wow, all that, that fire, that fire that's in our heart, that fire that's in our belly as women, to look at the collective, look at the whole and say, what are the problems that need to be solved here and how can we do that through business? it's the same thing that we have here in the developed world in our, you know, Mm -hmm. in our, in our very privileged world. And so I knew I wanted to support women in doing that here. Um, And also because here we don't generally have access to the same type of funding, right? You see the studies and, and the venture capitalists are funding companies run by white males for Mm -hmm. the most part. Right. And Mm -hmm. so we need a leg up. We, We have a lot, but we still need a leg up. So why is it important for women to be leading business at this time? Yeah, I really, um, I'd love to hear what you think about that too, Michelle. Um, But from my perspective, I feel like we have something really unique. We have a unique perspective. And and like I was saying, one part of it is that that attunement to the greater good, the the larger whole. you know, I've heard of people called like shifting from a me perspective to a we perspective. Mm-hmm. I feel like the women I meet, they start businesses to solve problems, uh-huh. right? Because their kid needs after school care, you know, so they start something, right? Mm-hmm. It was the same as the women in, in those developing countries. And, um, and I feel like we also bring the feminine. So it's not, it's not necessarily only women because some men have this too. And I'm, I'm meeting so many more men all the time who are doing this, but this, this natural proclivity to collaboration, co-creation coming together, right? Like bringing things together instead of working in silos of like, Oh, I have all the answers, you know, this is what we need to do. It's like, Hey, let's all get together and discuss this and find a solution that's going to work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that feminine way of doing business is really working and it's what the world needs. And I feel like the world of business is the thing that's going to move the ball forward on solving a lot of the world's biggest problems. Yeah. Whether it ends up being women or men, the, the, um, the traits of kindness and empathy and compassion are things that are going to shift the world. I mean, that's what we, when we work from the place of the heart, which is I'm a heart math certified trainer. So um, everything that I do is heart based. And when you lead from the heart, whether you're a male or a female, the whole atmosphere is different. Your whole life is different. And so uh, women have, I think um, somebody's going to nail me for this, I'm sure. But I think that women have more of a tendency to lean toward that first. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. So um, what incredibly resourceful things have you seen in women do through their entrepreneurship? Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) I find women um, being incredibly resourceful around, as I was saying before, like, searching for solutions to problems by actually working together. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
you know, I've created a few different types of communities and membership communities with, with women, with women entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I think the resourcefulness often comes just from asking for help. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like we're, we're, and we're such givers, right? Oftentimes, I don't know, my clients, you know, they're the last on the list, right? They're, they're helping everybody else and they're mm-hmm. the last one on the list. And so I'm really helping them stepping into asking. But create, having communities where you can just put it out there like, hey, I'm trying to do this. I'm looking for this. There's this whole wave of help mm-hmm. that comes, right? right? And so I find it's not hard at all for mm-hmm. us to be to be resourceful by just asking so how do you feel about the the competition do you feel that there's a lot of competition in women who are in entrepreneurial roles together yeah i think that's always going to be a thing mm-hmm. um and you know i think that i especially work with a lot of coaches consultants service providers and you know baked into those cultures or even that training. I remember when I went through coach certification, it's like you're a coach and they're a coach and they're a coach, but you're the only you, mm-hmm. you know? And so this idea, like there is no competition. Mm-hmm. I think that's said a lot, Michelle, and I don't, I know it's not always believed or practiced, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're going to, we're going to compare ourselves to other people. There's going to sometimes be competition, and how can we have collaboration and competition at the same time? Mm-hmm. Like I was just on the phone with someone this morning who has an extremely similar business to mine. She does all the same offerings basically, except for she's doing this thing where she's teaching people how to run small retreats. I'm not doing that. So I'm like, great, there's an opportunity. I'd be happy to you know, have you promote that to my community and I'm actually going to be potentially helping her with her whole funnel development. Right. And so it's like, we can find ways inside of that, I think to really help each other. Um, and just like being honest about it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we are, we really have competitive offerings, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and yet like I can still be your mastermind partner. I could still share with you what works for me and you could share what works for you. Right. Right. And with all of those coaches, I mean, how many billions of people are there on the planet? And try to imagine, can you handle them all? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. I can't. And that, that's a great point. That it really is a great point. When you just start to see, okay, let's even take the number of people that speak English, <laughs> you right. know, mm-hmm. and still like, if, however you're working, how many people a year can you serve? And then how many people in your lifetime can you serve? There really is enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely there is. And and you're right about the unique nature of each one of us. Um, you and I could actually teach the exact same curriculum, yeah. and it would not be the same. Exactly, right. Yeah. So, um, so you saw women in India taking up entrepreneurship to fund college educations and... Um, and they seem to focus on the, the good of the whole more than. Right. Thank you for reminding me about yeah. that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, yes. Yeah, so when I was in India, I, I met some, some very young women. I think they were just 21 years old. And it was really amazing how they were using entrepreneurship to help themselves and help each other and actually start larger initiatives. Um, so I met a girl, she was 21 and she was like, I really want to go to school in London. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, how is mm-hmm. that going to happen? Right. right um, yeah. How do you get a work permit? in London? you know, I was really curious about that. And so she was mentoring students after school and she ended up creating a business and then her and her boyfriend grew the business together. And, you know, now she is this, incredible professional she lives in London and she works um, for organizations that um, work with ethical trade practices and you know she's a social entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and and the young man that was her boyfriend is now living in Berlin and you know they're they're adults and it's it's just so incredible for me to see how people can 
really create anything in the, in the most, and they didn't come from families with money, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, they weren't, you know, total poverty level. They, they did have an education and things like that, but it's like, you know, when you hear these stories, it's like, we really don't have any excuse, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, I know a lot of, uh, I meet a lot of people all the time. I don't have any money. I don't have any resources. And it's like, don't you? I mean, look, like really look and see, like so many of us do have access to funding, even crowdfunding. Like if we take the, if if we have something we're so passionate about and take up the charge to raise money for that or even sell our services, right? But we, we, you know, we get stopped for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. So I think it's useful to look at people doing extraordinary things with nothing um, to, to empower us and incentivize us. Mm -hmm. And most of the stuff that stops us is right between our two ears. That's right. (laughs) So you're passionate about women entrepreneurs creating a unique voice and brand that is resilient in the marketplace. Can you tell us more about that? How can, how can take coaching, for example, it was like, we've got where I live. I say that we've got a coach under every rock. I'm sure we do. Um, How can we make this so that I stand out from my next door neighbor? Yeah, I love that. And it is such a passionate of a passion of mine. And, you know, I feel like it's it's the place where I get to unleash my creativity and really work with entrepreneurs to define that. And, and, you know, in the traditional world, they call it your USP, your unique selling proposition, right? What's unique about you? And what I find is there are clues inside of our story. Like you were saying, I could teach this and you could teach the same thing and we would teach it totally differently, right? Mm -hmm. It's because of who you are and who I am and all of the experiences that I have. So the first thing would be to start by looking at what's your personal journey? What's your story? What is unique about you? And then what are you super passionate about? So Mm -hmm. I actually also work with um, entrepreneurs to create their brand manifesto, which is, you know, words and sentences and phrases that really essentialize your big why and and what you believe in and what you're standing for becomes this brand stand, I like to call it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a lot. A lot of it's comprised by what breaks your heart and what lights you up. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you standing for? And so I think oftentimes when we're looking at differentiating ourselves, we're trying to say, oh, I do this better or I do this in a slightly different way. But it's more useful to think about your why, your stand that you're taking, the mm-hmm. story, um, what you really believe in. Those are the things that are going to make you stand out. There's a great Simon Sinek TED Talk um, about your why. People Mm -hmm. buy why you do what you do, Mm -hmm. not what you do. They're not going to buy coaching. They're going to buy Michelle. Mm -hmm. They're going to buy, you know, you. And so being able to articulate that stand is really important. And I want to pass on one other tip. This great book and resource that's been such a gift to me called building your story brand. And I feel like I'm recommending it to everybody I know (laughs) um, because it really helps you essentialize down what's the core of what you do and also what's, what's the story around your brand. And who is the author of that? Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll think of it. Anybody can Google it. So it's building. You can Google it. Brand. Yeah. I'm like, okay. oh man. I mean, I look at his emails every day. It's funny. I can't remember his name. But no, that's okay. That was, a, that was a completely off the wall question. So that's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm terrible with names. I'm great with faces and I'm terrible with names. Um, yeah. But it will come back around in a second. The other thing that's really incredible about that book is he, this isn't new. I mean, I was doing this in traditional advertising with TV commercials and brand building for years. Um, But he really has essentialized down a way of looking at the archetypal hero's journey story. Mm -hmm. And in your brand story, your customer is the hero of the story, not you. Oh, interesting. So that's another way to differentiate yourself and what you're doing. So it's not you know, I'm a coach and here's my, here's me. And it's all about me. It's really like, Oh, it's you. Like you're on a journey. 
mm-hmm. you know, potential customer. Mm-hmm. And you're you're gonna have to do you know the Joseph Campbell hero's journey yes. arc? Basically, you have to go into the underworld and, you know, kind of dig deep into your shadows. And then you come, you know, you battle the dragons, which is basically your inner shadow, and you come out the other side with the gift. And so this book really helps you see, okay, who is my hero? Who's my customer? What's the journey that they're going to go on with me. And then you are like the Yoda or the Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Luke Skywalker journey story, Uh right? As a brand, your brand, you, you are the guide. You're the mentor. You're the one that gives them, you know, the special bag of magical whatever dust that helps them kill, kill their dragons, slay their dragons. Um, and so it's really fun. I find it really fun to think about it that way. It's, it's playful, right? It's creative. Mm-hmm. Tap into your creative creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, um, and when, when there are changes that happen in your creating your messaging and um, that taps into the heart of the ideal client, do you have to be accountable for the changes that are taking place? So can you talk us a little bit about that? Is how do you, how do you make yourself accountable for your brand? How do you make yourself accountable? So like when, so when your brand is changing through time? Well, when you take on for, for actually it's for being accountable for the change that you want to make so that you, you were talking about, um, you know, the, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is your journey, but you still want to let them know that you can help them on that journey. So how, does, how do you be accountable in that way? Yeah, that's right. You, you do. So you need to weave the story in a way that shows them exactly how you're going to help them. Um, I like to think about it like a transformational arc, you know, so someone who comes to you, wherever they're at at the like even the moment before they know you exist mm-hmm. right um uh someone that i worked with used to call it their head in the hands moment <laughs> you know when they're like oh my gosh you know everything has just this is just really challenging whether that's in business or life or their marriage or whatever you're helping them with right mm-hmm. and they're saying these things to themselves inside their head that's their authentic language that's where they are right mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> so they're on their hero's journey and they're going to go through an arc a transformational arc to get to the other side that's the gap where they are and where they want to be there's a gap in there and then you're going to meet them at some point along this journey mm-hmm. so in your business you want to think about where are you meeting them like let's say someone's going through a divorce you meeting them at the very beginning Are you meeting them before when the marriage is kind of rocky? You know, are you meeting them at the end? They've gone through the divorce and now they're recreating their life. So think about where on that that arc you're meeting them. And then the, the responsibility is really like, what's the stand that you're taking? Mm-hmm. inside of that point where you you as a brand as a guide are meeting the hero on their journey and what are <clears throat> what powerful gift do you have for them and i would just encourage people to be powerful about it right to really and that's going to take everybody standing in their own power mm-hmm. right knowing the truth of themselves in order to take a strong and powerful stand with their brand statements and the stories that they're making. Did that Excellent. answer your question? <laughs> yes. Yes, it did. Thank you very much. That was great. Um, we're going to take a small break and then we will come back and uh, finish our, our conversation with Kim Carpenter, who's a uh, founder of world changing women. So come right back. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's virtual office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's virtual office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's virtual office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. 
Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel, your host, and we're interviewing Kim Carpenter, the founder of World Changing Women, who is a support who creates a support ecosystem for women entrepreneurs to grow businesses that make the world a better place. So, Kim, we were just talking about um, being accountable for the change where you meet the um, client in that arc of their transformation that they're going through. Um, but you help individuals create their brand in the first place. What do you have to say to the people who say, but I can help everybody? Right. Yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges. <laughs> and one of my favorite phrases that my clients get so tired of hearing is that when you market to everybody, you market to nobody. Mm -hmm. Right. So in order to actually stand out, it requires that you get more specific with who you are helping. Mm -hmm. And I don't like the word niche or target market. Sounds like a target you're shooting at. Um, I prefer the word, the phrase ideal client. Okay. So an ideal client is different um, from a niche or a target because you want to consider all of the aspects of this person. And I like to feel connected to that person. So I will often come up with one person, what we call an avatar, mm -hmm. and think about what are the qualities of this person down to really, really minute things. Like what do they value? What's mm -hmm. important to them? And based on that, like where are they shopping? You know, are they shopping at Whole Foods because eating organic food is a priority for them and they want to nourish their families with <clears throat> that, right? Mm -hmm. Are they shopping somewhere else because they're really thrifty and they want to, you know, be smart about how they're spending or, <clears throat> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so looking at their behaviors, their values, what they really care about. Do they care about making a difference in the world? And if they do, in what way? what's important to them, right? So really understanding that person. So it doesn't mean that you have to say, you know, it's all women who are between the ages of 40 and 55 and they have two cars and two kids who are gross, right? Like that's mm -hmm. called the demographics, right? We want to look at the psychographics, the psychology behind this person and what they value the most. <clears throat> and when you can get that clear, then you know who this person is. You know who you're talking to. I also say make your marketing messaging like love letters to this person, right? They're the hero of your, your story, of your hero's journey story, your brand story, and, and you're the mentor and the guide. And how are you going to show up for them? Mm -hmm. How are you going to love on them, right? And if you don't feel that deep affinity for this person, it's really hard for you to get to what is their head in the hands moment language? What's the authentic language that they're speaking? What are they struggling with? What are they um, aspiring to? We don't always have to talk about, you know, only the pain that they're experiencing. Maybe they just have massive aspirations. Like my clients, I say, they have a fire in their belly to do something with their one precious life. And it's almost like they can't not do it, mm -hmm. right? And they don't want to leave this planet without having made a contribution to that thing. Now, those are words that either people have told me something similar um, or they've written it, you know, they've, they've communicated it to me in some way. And so I find that, you know, even though it's one person, one avatar, there's a commonality across all of my clients with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, wonderful. So in the marketing, you want, to, um, you want the marketing to make a stand. And so you go ahead and you make your stand. This is what I stand for. This is who I am. And what happens if the stand you're taking alienates somebody or they disagree with your standpoint? Yeah. That can often happen, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, excuse me, I have something a hair in my eye. <laughs> um, for me, you know, I'm taking a stand for supporting women entrepreneurs. And a lot of people ask me, well, what about men? Mm -hmm. I've had and them ask me that too. What about <laughs> us? Well, what about, what about <laughs> men? And it's like, yes, 
you know, men are amazing and I have tons of male support around me and we are, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take every person on the planet who wants to make the world a better place to step into it and take action and do it. And I'm choosing to focus on women right now. Who knows? I might create another company someday that's called something else, but right now it's world changing women. And so, you know, it feels risky. I know with a lot of my clients, they're like, well, should I say that? I kind of want to dampen down the message so that, you know, nobody's ever offended or nobody feels excluded. And it goes back to that thing. You market to everyone, you market to no one. So I would say, find, you got to find the place that's comfortable for you, but not too vanilla, not so watered down that you're just trying to play it so safe or you won't stand out, right? Mm -hmm. It'll, you'll start to come off like a commodity, right? And you'll start to attract people that are just looking for the cheapest coach or looking for the cheapest consultant in this area or whatever when your message isn't clear and strong. Mm -hmm. When your message is clear and strong and differentiated and you're taking a stand for something, you're like, I believe in this. I believe women need a leg up. I believe women aren't getting the same amount of attention, funding, and support. I believe women, you know, have bigger problems with confidence in business than men. Now, people will disagree with mm -hmm. everything I just said, and those aren't my ideal clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. When somebody does disagree, you have to realize that they aren't. They aren't. Also, the people who are going to complain about your prices are not the people that you want either. No. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. So what do you do with the tendency? Uh, this is not on here, but just asking for your opinion. is like um, oftentimes if an entrepreneur is just starting and they're feeling kind of like that desperate, oh, my gosh, I have to have clients. Um, and they finally have gotten down to their, their I'm sorry, their ideal client. They have their ideal client and they have it all out and everything and then they tell somebody this is the price and the person balks so they go well but there's a special today and they lower the price until the client is comfortable so what is your opinion about that yeah pricing is such a great conversation you know um, I do a lot of work with my clients around pricing and packaging um, so I think that one thing to look at before you start to have the conversation is how do you create an irresistible offer, right? An offer that it feels so amazing that that person's like, dang, that is so chock full of value. It's like a no brainer for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing I'd work on ahead of time. The other thing is how do you address objections, right? Because time, money, you know, those are going to always be the biggest objections. And you're going to always encounter people that balk at the prices. Mm -hmm. Now, I think if someone is really just starting and they're just getting their very first few clients, I don't see, I mean, you got to just start working with people somewhere, mm -hmm. right? So I don't have a huge opinion about never discount or never, you know, if you're, if really these are your first 10 clients that you're getting, okay, let's get some hours under your belt so you can really stand in your expertise around it. And mm -hmm. we know it happens down the road too, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> so I would say sometimes you just say, okay, right? Like I've said this to people before, I get it. I'm not the cheapest coach out there. Mm -hmm. And what I know is, you know, these are the results that my clients get. And I think that comes with time, right? That comes because I've worked with hundreds of people and I know the results that I can help people get. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have more confidence because I have that competence already yeah. built up, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Excellent, yes. So how can you become more resilient in the face of disagreement? Ah, oh, it's such a great question, right? So I think... That, that kind of goes back to what we were saying before, right? You're going to speak out <clears throat> and you're going to have a stand with your messaging, with your marketing, with your brand, and some people are going to disagree. Mm -hmm. And what I found as the most helpful thing for myself and, and the women that I work with is to have 
a community, mm -hmm. is to have a tribe, right? And so we have the World Changing Women community, we have the World Changing Women Rising community on Facebook, because it is really hard when especially um, you're trying to do something, you're trying to change the world, right? Or you're trying to change a paradigm, or you're trying to, you're trying to build something that you know is important, it's really helpful for people. And then you get the naysayers, you get, you know, if you're taking a stand, you're always going to have someone who doesn't agree. Mm -hmm. And so it's not always easy all by yourself to just be like, okay, I'm strong, I can do this. But it really helps just to have people to talk with, to connect with, people to be your cheerleaders, people to have your back, right? I mean, I've even seen things on Facebook where some of my community members, they'll post something that's pretty edgy. And they'll let us know ahead of time, hey, you guys, I'm going to post this article. It's pretty edgy. Can you go send us some social media love here, mm -hmm. right? Or you'll see one person, you know, one person's like, nee, 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 in the comments, which always happens. And then our community's like, hey, did you see what happened on so-and-so's post? Let's all go over there and, like, you know, help because and give some different opinions. So... I think that especially as women, we're so amazing in community. We're such great connectors and collaborators that, um, that that's been the thing that's honestly made the big difference for me to be able to stand in my powers. People have my back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, I've, I had a thought the other, oh, it was like several months ago when somebody, um, somebody accused somebody else of being like a cult, a cult like a cult leader or something yeah. like that. And I, and I looked at their, um, what they were complaining about and I thought, oh, I'm beginning to think that that's a compliment <laughs> because um, usually if you start ruffling feathers, you're doing good work is yeah. what I've experienced. Yeah. And <clears throat> I agree. I agree. And I, and I think that, you know, it can be kind of scary these days because you see people get slammed, mm -hmm. especially when social media and they might say one offhanded thing. Um, I can't remember who it was that a couple years ago, they, they, they went to an event and it was called, you know, like the goddess tribe Mm -hmm. And people freaked out about the word goddess and they freaked out about the word tribe. And they said, you can't use the word tribe because, you know, that is about indigenous cultures and they have a tribe that's disrespectful, to, you know, and it's like, wow, it's language. And I really get the importance of being precise in our language. Mm -hmm. And this person had no ill intent, right? She was right. going to gather with other women to celebrate her femininity, you know what I mean? But right. it just became this massive backlash, and it was just like, I think we've lost the plot, you guys. <laughs> you know, like, right. uh -huh. like, why are we arguing about this? You know, why can't we come together and find where the commonplace is here? Yeah, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with um, are we looking for something to pick at or are we looking for the good in what uh, what they, the individual is trying to accomplish as you were saying about this woman um, my daughter made the comment to me yesterday that somebody had said something about that uh, women shouldn't work harder than their strength and everybody blew up and got upset about that saying that she was saying that women were the weaker sex no, what she was saying was we all have limits and when you get there, you should stop. You shouldn't keep pushing through because, you know, we're not super women and we have a tendency to think we can do anything and we can do everything. And, and yet, um, and so this woman was, was trying to put out this message that we aren't super women. We need to be aware of our body and, and what our body is telling us. And we need to know that we have limits and don't push past your limits and everybody chose to be offended at that comment. So you do have to be so careful with language because it is so powerful. But boy, do you ever get a headache from having to watch every word that comes out of your mouth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and I think that, um, you know, what I've seen is that we need to take a stand. We need to communicate where we're at, 
we will attract the people that are attracted to our message. If there are people offended, just take responsibility, you know, look at that, apologize where appropriate or connect. You know, I just find like making a real live connection also mm -hmm. is the key. Like, dang, we're all just human beings here on the planet. <laughs> like, right. Trying to do the best we can. Right. And, you know, as much good as we can. So. so where would you suggest that someone starts to create a powerful um, marketing message that stands out and also takes a stand? Yeah, I think we were talking about the manifesto with this, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's where I love to um, have people look, you know, and to really look at um, where where they're passionate about, you know, where they're passionate, what they love, what lights them up, and what breaks their heart. And um, in those questions, and a few other questions that I, I take people through when I when I do the manifesto challenge, is, um, is it, it just sheds light on so many things, you know, and it really helps bring out your differentiation, and, um, and the core messages that you want to create in your marketing that alongside of you know that that arc story that transformational arc story for your client and you as the guide in that story so really those two things so tell me with um not just me of course obviously but tell me <laughs> tell our audience what your difference is between a manifesto a vision and a mission statement yeah. So your manifesto really is your, <clears throat> your big why. So mm -hmm. it's, it's why you exist. Um, it's the beliefs about it. It's the um, power statements about it. And then a vision, like I like to think of a vision as I can see it, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking, it's a vision and people's do this opposite all the time, but here's how I'm defining it. <laughs> so your vision is, oh, I, this is the future that I can see, mm -hmm. that I want to create. So this is a world where, right? It's a future vision. It's how does my work fit into the world that I want to see get created because I'm adding my, my special sauce, my little piece into this future world vision that I want to create. That's the vision mm -hmm. for your company or your initiative. And then your mission, I mean, I am an army brat. So I kind of think about like, what are your marching orders, right? Like, what's your mission? What's your mission impossible? What's the operation that you're doing? So your mission is how are you going to get there? Like, what are the pieces that need to get created in reality mm -hmm. that manifest the vision and then your manifesto is like your guidepost the 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 things that keep you going the statements the beliefs the big why that is um up under all of that so on the days you feel like banging your head against the wall and go why am i doing this <laughs> you would just yeah i have it posted on my wall i look at my manifesto and it really um really helps me stay stay clear and strong so um on some papers that you sent me you sent me one from nike and one from fiat and one from apple did you write those oh no <laughs> <laughs> okay. i wish yeah, okay all right so those are just examples of what their manifestos are and what yeah, so there's examples so when i do the manifesto challenge i show examples that that big companies are using as their manifestos and all the different ways that they use them lululemon has a really cool manifesto and they put it they print it on their bags so you mm -hmm. see these cool red and white bags you know that you get when you shop at the store and it's got the manifesto on it and there are things on that manifesto that are that are edgy you know mm -hmm. that are like um you know i can't remember exactly but something about you know the way that you eat and you're, you're about exercising every day you know and things like that and it's like huh like i don't necessarily believe everything in this but i'm attracted to this brand because mm -hmm. they're really taking a stand for this you know mm -hmm. And the Apple one talks about, you know, the misfits, right? Like that was a quintessential commercial. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Apple created that manifesto because um, Steve Jobs had 
had, <laughs> you know, before he left Apple and then came back to Apple, he made an epic marketing fail. He took out like a seven-page ad in um, in a, in the paper, and it was basically like the technical description of the Lisa computer. And it's like nobody cares, and everybody feels like it's so techy, right? They didn't understand it, and the sales totally bombed, and he was out, right? He came back to Apple after working at Pixar mm -hmm. and learning about storytelling, and then created this incredible manifesto commercial, um, you know, series about how. Apple, because he tapped into his the hero of the journey, mm -hmm. which are were people who were super creative and felt like they were misfits and nobody understood them. And they also found computers to be too complicated to use. They were the graphic designers, the artists, the people that wanted to use Apple computer for typography and, you know, and schools and education. And so, um, so that quintessential ad came out about that, where he was really speaking to the brand as this guidepost for those people, a, a place. And that's when the big separation happened, you know, IBM and Apple, and Apple just rose to the top there. Mm -hmm. And essentially in that he was describing himself. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. So you had mentioned something about uh, a, a challenge. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I can. So, um, so the manifesto challenge happens, actually, it's a free challenge, and it happens inside of the World Changing Women Rising Facebook group. I do it a, a couple times a year, but mm -hmm. you can also access it at manifestochallenge.com and, and opt in and receive the email string that basically will take you through uh, a five-day process of creating your manifesto. That is awesome. So uh, tell us what, again how to, how to connect that if we don't happen to, if you don't happen to be running one right at the moment that we know, yeah, can we still so get into always, it? Yeah, you okay. can get that at manifestochallenge.com. Make sure I'll put that in the notes. Okay. Um, okay, so if anybody wants to have more of a conversation with you, I mean, really everybody who's listening to this, I would recommend that you do have a conversation about your branding with um, Kim and how to come up with your manifesto and all that stuff. So how can they contact you so that they can do that? Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, so you can um, check out uh, all of our work and programs at worldchangingwomen.com. And um, I'd be happy to chat with you at any time. You can just contact me directly at Kim at worldchangingwomen.com. That's excellent. Thank you so much. And thank you, Kim, for being with us um, today and sharing your expertise. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy to have been here with you. And thank you so much, Michelle, for the amazing work that you're doing and hosting this series for all of us. Well, thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.